So, uh, hi, this is Marcin Dilla and you are listening to All Strings Considered. One interview with Rubinstein was that, I think it was the interview to celebrate his 80th birthday. So he was 80, right? And at the end of the interview he said something like, uh, do you mind if we finish right now because I have to go practice? Yes, this is just amazing, right? I mean... In my opinion, competitions are just great if you see the whole pictures and if you understand that you should use the competitions to develop yourself. I said, Hubert, I'm ready to record something. Do you have time? Not really, unless you want to record it tomorrow. <laughs> I said, yes, let's do it tomorrow. So we went to the chair. I said, I like the sound. He said, I like the sound too. And then he said, okay, so let's start. But don't be disappointed when the airplanes make a noise because from time to time they do it. So I was like recording. Everything was great. And I said, okay, now a little break and the airplanes. <laughs> Hey everyone, and welcome back to All Strings Considered. I'm your host, Scott Wolf. All Strings Considered is brought to you in part by Guitar Salon International, the world's largest selection of fine classical and flamenco guitars and accessories. So the Guitar Foundation of America competition is next week in Louisville, Kentucky. And not only am I going to be there, I also have interviews scheduled with Bruce Holtzman, Angelo Desiderio, Berta Rojas, and Elliot Fisk. So if you have a question for Berta or Elliot or Aniela or Bruce, post it on the All Strings Considered Facebook page or on Twitter at All Strings. I will do my best to get each and every one of your questions answered. This episode also marks nine months and the first complete season of All Strings Considered, which means it's time for a break. I'm going to take July off and I'll be starting the next series of episodes with a special episode of highlights from the GFA Festival. So if you're upset you're not going, at least you'll be there in spirit when you listen in. And if you are going to be there and have something you want to contribute to the GFA episode, come up and say hi. I should be fairly easy to spot. I'll be the guy wearing the All Strings Considered t-shirt and most likely I'll be holding a microphone. I am really excited that today's guest is Marcin Dila. He is the perfect performer to hear from just a few short days before one of the biggest guitar competitions in the United States. He won GFA in 2007 and previously practically every other major guitar competition in the world. 19 first prizes. So not only is he an authority on competitions, but he also has an incredibly positive and original outlook on why competitions are so important. And it's certainly not prizes or fame. So let's start there. This is a good subject, competitions. It makes me really sad when I hear from the professors that they are complaining about the competitions. They don't believe in the competitions. They said it's a kind of fake, it's not right. And I just know, I know very well, that they misunderstood the idea of the competitions. They took it too serious. They don't see the whole picture, okay? The whole picture is like, let's say, in the case of Rubinstein, the career of 80 years, right? And the competitions are just here at the beginning, maybe first 10, 15 years. 
and actually later on doesn't matter who won who got the second prize who lost the good thing is only who made a profit out of the competition and the only one profit is your development the progress you did because of the competitions so in my opinion competitions are just great if you see the whole pictures and if you understand that you should use the competitions to develop yourself so I have a students they do a competitions and I have a students they hate the competitions they don't do a competitions and I see how they make a progress differently the one who's doing the competitions they make a progress another one they are on the holidays all the time So imagine just the two months of preparing for the competition. This is hard work. You are well motivated, right? Then you play the competition. This is a huge experience. You play in a very stressful situation. Uh, you see how it works in, in such a situation on stage when uh, the performance is very important for you. So you learn to deal with this situation. You get the feedback from the from the people, from the professors. Sometimes you have to really understand what's stupid comments what's important comments that's another story but you get some feedbacks you win some fans also even even if you don't win but you play nice some of the people in the audience recognize you as a player right and then you don't win and you go home and you learn how to deal with this situation yes and when I said this then some of my teacher told me that's the problem that's the problem that the young people they get disappointed with the competition I say look if you cannot deal with this in the age of 18 21 22 when and how can you learn to deal with this and this will come in your life for sure maybe not because of the music in in, in different fields of your life so <laughs> we cannot protect the people from being sad and disappointed right we just have to learn them how to deal with this so if you look at the competitions like this they are just great okay so those were a lot of really valuable points in rapid succession so how about i just recap those for you really quickly first when you consider a long career as a performer Using competitions as a springboard into performing is only a tiny fraction of a potentially lifelong career. Marcin is living proof of this. Since he stopped doing competitions about five years ago, he has since become a major part of the classical guitar world, with regular invitations to festivals and concerts all over the world. He now spends between six and nine months of the year performing. Next, it doesn't really matter whether you win or lose. Because the value is in the fact that you practice so much harder when you're preparing for something like this, and therefore take great strides in your own personal improvement. And then, because so many of the competitions are public, you not only let the world know of your presence, but you inevitably gain some new fans. And then perhaps the most important thing is that you learn to deal with disappointment. And the competitions, in my opinion, are, is, is like, they are like a festivals for young people. 
if you are young, nobody is inviting you to play a concert. So the only one chance to present what you learn, what you do at home, is uh, is the competition, right? And I always criticize my students for this kind of questions, like, do you know if I should go to take part in this competition? Do you know who's gonna be a judge there? Do you know who else is gonna compete? What kind of competition is this? And I, I always say, you know, th those are stupid questions. First of all, you never know. And second, it's not your business, really. You know, you, you go somewhere and you believe that the judges believe that those people really don't uh, appreciate the, the taste that you have. Well, you may be surprised. I was surprised many times as a, as a competitor, as a, as a judge as well. You know, to be a judge is also a great experience because as a competitor you are trying to be perfect to show your skills. And, and then when you are a judge, most of us are waiting for someone who will deliver a nice music. This is really surprising, right? But that's how it works. So, and I remember one journalist, she asked me, so which competition is really the, the big one who is opening the doors of the big concerts and so on? I said, there is no competition like this in the guitar world. And she said, oh, I'm so sorry, that's, that's a pity. And I told her, in my opinion, that's right. Because this is not like a fake Hollywood career, right? That someone just invests two million and the guy is a star for one season or two seasons and then it's gone, right? This is a true, very honest process that should take years, right? Not by winning one competition. This is a little bit sick uh, situation. If you have a competition that really decides you are good, you are not. Right, but in a case like we have, we have so many competitions, and you cannot really say which one are difficult, which one are not, because it depends who will come. Right, if all talented kids show up in a small village in a, in a Spain for this competition, this become really really difficult. Right, of course, there there are competitions like a like a GFA that is so highly appreciated by all young players just because you have this great opportunity to play a long tour which is just amazing for a young player right yeah. for several reasons yeah. to get experience to, to become well known and yeah everyone wants this so of course this is beautiful this is great so speaking of competitions Let's hear Martin Dila play a couple movements from Tedesco's Sonata for Guitar, which is Tedesco's homage to the classical era composer Boccherini. Now, Tedesco was not a guitarist himself, and so the limitations of the instrument are both less of a concern and less of a hindrance to him. And generally what we get from non-guitarist composers is often more technically difficult music, but also works that explore a larger set of tonalities, as well as generally pushing guitarists to find novel ways of approaching their instrument. This piece is also one of only a very few large-scale sonatas in the guitar repertoire. All of this put together makes for an excellent set piece for a competition, and Marcin actually won the Julian Arcas competition in Spain, in part playing this piece. We are going to hear the first two of four movements, the first is titled Allegro con Spiritu, and the second movement, Andantino Quasi Canzone, so almost a song. When Marcin came to play my concert series at Whittier College, what struck me most was how beautifully song-like and lyrical he could be when he chose to be. And I think this really comes across in the second movement. So, Tedesco's Sonata, first and second movement, played by Marcin Dila. 
Thank you. 
You may have noticed a bit more background noise behind Marcin than normal. Well, that's because he refused to do the interview unless we could do it over cigars in a little cigar shop just a few blocks down the street from Disney Hall in downtown LA. While it's rarely the same interest, it seems everyone I interview cultivates a love for some refined, simple pleasure. Whether it be Scott Tennant and his quest for the perfect espresso, or Bill Kanengeiser and his cooking or his amazing impressions, Adam Del Monte and hummus, I could go on and on. By the way, I think we're going to do a little homebrewing episode sometime in the fall with Ed Tribeck. Should be fun. Let's hear how Marcin found his love for cigars. This one is strong, actually. Is it? Yeah. Mm. This is a beautiful story and yeah. true story. Yeah. Yes. So I was in, on the GFA tour in Chicago for uh, one week, and it was January minus I don't know 30 Celsius, very cold. But I was for the first time in the city, so I was walking around all the time to explore it, enjoy it. And my next concert was in San Juan, Puerto Rico. So after one week in Chicago, I just flew maybe five hours to Puerto Rico. And I remember these two students, they picked me up at the airport. I was in my winter jacket and they, they asked me like, hey, would you like to go with us to surf, swim, enjoy the beach here? And I said, yeah. But I couldn't believe what they are asking me, right? So I went direct from the airport to the, to the beach and I felt like I'm in a paradise. And the same day in the evening, I was sitting in front of my hotel and the gentleman kind of next to me was drinking coffee and smoking cigar. And you know, the, this pleasure of being in such a warm environment together with the smell of cigar somehow attract my brain and next morning I bought my first cigar. It's really how it, how it was, yeah. What I like about cigars is to enjoy different flavors, different tastes, right? So I cannot imagine to smoke every day the same cigar. A little bit like playing the same guitar all the time? Mm. So I always like to ask how people got started in their art form. And generally with musicians I hear about an artist that inspired them, or how they happened upon some beat up old instrument at a grandparents, etc. So it was a bit of a shock to hear Marcin had the guitar pressed upon him to keep him out of trouble. The true story is that I went to the regular school and after two weeks the director of the school called my father to come to school. I didn't know it, but my father came home and he was kind of, kind of angry and then he started to talk to me kind of you know, slowly and about finding some hobby, what I like, what should I do, whatever. We figured out that music could be something nice and probably guitar just because my father was playing a little bit on a, you know, kind of rock and roll so he knew a little bit about the guitar. Also the guitar was the instrument probably easy to get and you know you don't have to buy a piano or cello violin just guitar for your son if he likes he stay i think that's why how people start to play guitar right because it's a very handled easy, easy instrument and after many years my father told me that the director called him and he said that i'm a troublemaker that i create kind of gang in school that i was fighting with the kids it was it, it was not true probably she saw me in a in a break that I had kind of disagreement with, uh, uh, with someone else, but she overreacted, right? And my father 
told me that he, actually he was just trying to find some hobby for me to keep me away from uh, <laughs> from troubles. <laughs> so. If you're looking for trouble, you came to the right place. If you're looking for trouble, just look right in my face. How old were you then? Seven. So at the beginning I just... Uh, I, I don't really believe in these stories you can read in some CD booklets that three years old kid uh, started to play piano and from the very first moment he fall in love with the instrument and the music. You know, when I look at the kids, they are not like this, you know, they have different interests every week, right? Okay, if you start to play as a teenager, I can believe that it comes because of your passion or, or love for something, but not when you are seven or three. Yeah. I, I read it in some Russian pianist probably wrote this. Mm -hmm. the age of three, he fallen in love with the piano repertoire, right? Yeah. It doesn't work. So the beginning was kind of uh, maybe not even so nice because I didn't want to do it every day. But I was growing up in, uh, you know, that time the, the families were, were different. So father told me, hey, you asked me to buy the guitar for you, okay? Here's the guitar, you have to play. You, you told me you want to play guitar, so play. <laughs> Actually, when I, when I went to second school, uh, secondary school, when uh, all the kids were doing the music, then I felt what it means to be a musician, because we were all making music together and it was a lot of fun. tunes we're going to hear are from Marcin's album Chitarra Giocosa, and they are the third and fourth movement from another sonata by this time Antonio Jose, a Spanish composer who was a contemporary of the poet Federico Garcia Lorca and the artist Salvador Dali. Here's a little bit from Marcin about the recording. This, this is my favorite recordings. Oh, it is? Yes, definitely. Like Pavana Triste is beautiful there. The last movement of uh, Jose Sonata is great there. And I don't know if the CD is good, but just the memory from recordings is just great. I did it with Hubert Keppel in uh, in the church nearby where he lives. You know Hubert Keppel, the German uh, player? And like, you know, usually when you, when you record something, you are struggling with many things, right? Perfections, some noises. And in this case, I called him like two days before. I said, Hubert, I'm ready to record something. Do you have time? Not really, unless you want to record it tomorrow. <laughs> I said, yes, let's do it tomorrow. So we went to the chair. I said, I like the sound. He said, I like the sound too. And then he said, okay, so let's start. But don't be disappointed when the airplanes make a noise because from time to time they do it. So I was like recording. Everything was great. And I said, okay, now a little break and the airplanes. Right, and everything went so smoothly, so easily. Like, Hubert couldn't really believe the, the final movement from Jose, you know, it's, it's so fast, right? And you, you know the piece, it's so, you know, it's as popular as uh, Leo Brower's Sonata. Okay, so, you know, I, I thought I'm gonna struggle with this movement a lot because it's fast and difficult to record. Yeah. It's a one take. You know, it's, yeah, it's really it's a one take. And Hubert said, it's, uh, this makes my memories with this recording so good because everything went smoothly without any repetitions that makes you tired and so on. So when I'm listening to this uh, CD, I have the feelings of, uh, you know, lightness 
and joy of recordings, right? Yeah. That's why maybe I like it the most. Yeah. I don't know if it's really good or not, but... <laughs> Okay, so here's Martin Dila's recording of the third and fourth movement of the Sonata for Guitar by Antonio Jose. The third movement is titled Pavana Triste. A pavan is a slow processional dance from the Renaissance, most likely of Italian origin. And triste, of course, is sad, so you'll hear more of Martin's really special, sort of dark lyrical quality and his amazingly legato playing in this one. The fourth movement is marked Allegro con Brio, so literally fast with vigor, which is the virtuosic and technically difficult movement Marcin mentioned being worried about, but in his magical recording sessions with Hubert Keppel, was somehow able to record this in a single take.
There's a lot of pressure right now for young classical musicians to modernize, which in the industry's eyes has meant giving classical musicians a rock and roll slash pop star kind of makeover. You know, spiky hair, sexy dress, leather pants. There's just one simple world. I'm just cool. To a certain degree, this is great, as classical music really is in dire need of a youthful and engaged audience. But sometimes on stage, this rock star type presence often means something close to headbanging to Bach. I love to see a musician that is engaged in the music they're playing. But it's a fine line between being emotionally connected to what you're doing and actually wasting the energy that should be dedicated to making the music expressive. In extreme cases, even the audience stops being able to listen, because they're too distracted by all those extra musical gestures and crazy facial expressions. Gestures and uh, body language, right? I see very often that, and it's not only guitar players, all musicians, young musicians, they overreact with the body. Can you say like this? They overreact with the body. You know, if, if you really would like to hit the string with uh, energy you wish, you should uh, let your muscles work for this, not accommodate or suck the energy or cons consume the energy, right? And when you really uh, flex your muscles during the playing so much, you kind of dance to the music you produce, you, you enjoy and you create the music more inside you and you are not producing really this what you believe you do, right? So. I think we all know the young players, they are very emotional and they believe they deliver a big emotions, but actually only they are getting excited. So, and I see it very similar to, for example, to fight arts. Martin's talking about martial arts here. 
right? If you would like to hit something or someone very strongly, you have to uh, understand in which moment all the energy explodes, right? You cannot really flex your muscles and do, you know, I, yeah. it's a pity we don't have uh, feeder. <laughs> <laughs> because my English is so poor. Oh, yeah, uh, this is great. The moment the students starts to listen to themselves more, and being like a conductor who is reacting on ev everything that's going on, then they can produce uh, something. And I know it very well because this is my case. I remember myself from, from the past when I was practicing, I was sweating, I was wet because I was so excited about everything that I do. I had, uh, how we call this, the blood is not, not coming into your fingers. So. Single? Yeah, because I was so yeah so flexed that I could feel it in uh, all my body that the ah. blood is not circulating uh, ah. very easily. I had problems with the breathing, everything, and I realized that you know I'm getting too excited about this. And then when I watch, for example, Oscar Gila, my teacher playing, I, I I said, wow, he's so calm and the music is so expressive. Then I watch some videos of the the artists we mentioned before, and I I realized it's the same way. Yes. Yeah. And also, there, there are some conductors that they just, with one gesture, with uh, with face, with concentration, create great emotions. And there are conductors that they are just like dancers in front of orchestra, like a monkey in front of orchestra, right? He's like doing many things. And I appreciate much more the the one they are much more focused on the music and they just create the music. Like the gesture is small, but create something much more, right? Uh -huh. I don't want to give an example, but but the opposite guys like uh, Claudio Abbado, Sergio Celibidake, those are the conductors they really focus on the music. Maybe 90-80% of, uh, of the students, they move too much, enjoy the music too much uh, with the body. Uh, and uh, the 10% students, they are like, they don't move at all. problem with the students is that they believe that they want to reach something very soon. They work and they believe that they deserve a award very soon. So usually they graduate from the university and they feel like they should be already the stars or they should play a lot but they don't so what's wrong with them and said no I, I don't want to do anything with the music anymore nothing comes right. Also when you look at the Rubinstein recordings for example or all great players they were in the age of I know 60 70 what I really like about one interview with Rubinstein was that I think it was the interview to celebrate his 80 birthday so he was 80 right and there is an interview and at the end of the interview he said something like do you mind if we finish right now because I have to go practice and, and this is yes this is just amazing right I mean you realize that it never never ends. I mean, it's yeah, never stop. It's like work for the whole life, practicing, practicing, practicing. I've heard statistics here and there that people change career on average every 10 years, but I just can't believe that applies to musicians. 
And obviously, Marcin doesn't see it that way either. Rather, Marcin suggests that really our best playing comes not after 10 or 20 years, but rather after a lifetime. And I love this idea that a master like Rubinstein, at 80 years old, doesn't feel like he's finished. Instead, practice has just become a fundamental part of his daily life. And missing it would be like missing a meal or not getting enough sleep. One of my favorite parts of Marcin's concert a couple months ago was the Valses Poeticos by Enrique Granados, which is a set of short pieces originally for piano and arranged for guitar very nicely by Paolo Pegoraro. Marcin doesn't have a published recording of these works, but I've been given permission to play you a live recording of these. The entire set together is about 12 minutes long, and so I was going to play you a shorter set, but after listening to it again, I've decided I just can't bear to cut anything out. But before I leave you with this truly wonderful live performance, let me just say, thanks for listening to All Strings Considered. I'm your host, Scott Wolf. All Strings Considered is brought to you in part by Guitar Salon International, the world's largest selection of fine classical and flamenco guitars and accessories. Don't forget to post any questions you might have for Berta Rojas, Elliot Fisk, Aniel Desiderio, or Bruce Holtzman on the All Strings Considered Facebook page or Twitter at All Strings. It's been an honor and a pleasure to have Marcin Dila on the show, and I have no doubt you'll enjoy this Granados set. Take July to catch up on any All Strings episodes you've missed, or if you want to check out one of my three favorite podcasts because you've just heard every All Strings episode over and over again, go check out Radiolab, 99% Invisible, or The Moth. I adore all three. Expect the next season of All Strings Considered to start up in early August with a special Guitar Foundation of America episode. Until then, enjoy this last piece.
Yeah, actually, he was just trying to find some hobby for me to keep me away from uh, <laughs> from troubles. <laughs>